nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Okay, well, good morning once again. And I did read a little bit fast because it's, by my count, it's 11.54 already. And we need to get <laughs> through the service in a way. Uh, yeah, I have a lot to say, as usual. And so I got to condense this as much as I can. And uh, yeah, I want to welcome especially, uh, yeah, my good friends, Pastor Eddie and Nita. Uh, you know, he's a, a fellow pastor who is about to actually become the pastor of a Chinese immigrant church himself. And uh, they were with us in uh, Qingdao for uh, many years and several years. So very glad to uh, have them uh, join us this morning. Uh, okay, well, with that, I'm going to ask if we can just uh, go into uh, to the Lord, uh, go to the Lord once again in prayer. And uh, I'm going to just pray for us as we look at this psalm together and ask the Lord to open our hearts. So please join me. Father, we thank you for uh, your word uh, that is a double-edged sword. It's our daily bread. It's our manna from heaven. And it is, Lord, more precious to us than gold, even fine gold. Uh, it is more precious and it is more needful to us than food itself, uh, physical food. Um, that we would not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. And so, Lord, uh, I pray that you would create in us a hunger to know you through your word and that your word would be what would sustain and what would nourish us, would strengthen us. And because your word rules over our hearts, Lord, that we would become fruitful disciples of Jesus. Would you do that, Lord, uh, by your spirit? And Lord, I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts might be pleasing to you our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever been in a uh, one-way relationship where you did all the listening and you did all the encouraging and you were asking about how their weeks went, how their lives were going? Uh, you were very interested and focused upon their life, but they didn't reciprocate that? Um, where they're not interested in hearing your stories and they're not, they're not interested in hearing about your hopes and dreams? about your fears, your struggles, about what's going on in your life. Um, but it's just very one way. You're just doing all the giving and all the pouring in, but there's no mutual relationship. And that kind of relationship, as you and I know, that relationship cannot last. It's, it's an inauthentic relationship, right? It's one dimensional, it's one way, and it's not healthy. Well, what if our relationship with God was one way? 
In other words, we just go to the Lord, Lord, I need forgiveness of sins, I need your grace, I need your mercy, I'm, in this, I'm stuck, I'm in the bind, I need help, um, you know, I've got these issues and problems, and so we cry out to the Lord, and we're wanting God's help, and we want his mercies in our lives, but we're not really interested in actually knowing God. We're not actually interested in hearing from him what's on his heart, what's his agenda. Uh, we're not interested in saying, Lord, let me get to know your heart so well that, you know, I just want to be close to you and I want to follow you. I want to obey the things you tell me to do. We would say that that kind of relationship is inauthentic. It's one-dimensional. And at that point, it ceases to be a real vital relationship. We've been talking about this whole idea of following Jesus, of discipleship, and what that means. And we're looking at a few different strokes of this wheel, uh, this wheel illustration that I introduced to you uh, a while back ago. But what does it mean as followers of Jesus to be practicing the things that Jesus wants us to practice? And we have talked about the Word of God and how foundational, how essential the Word of God is to a growing relationship with Jesus, to actually following Him. And last week we talked about Psalm 19, and we talked about the importance of just consuming God's Word. We need to be, uh, we need to be actively engaged, and we need to be pursuing God through His Word uh, on a daily basis. Otherwise, there's this inauthenticity to our relationship with God. Well, this morning, the psalm that we just read in Psalm 1, I think really addresses this question of how do we experience an intimate relationship with God through His Word? And I'm glad that several of you have responded by taking up the Bible reading challenge, right? So many of you are going to do that, right? And uh, we have several people on the Facebook page who signed up for that, and I know some of, uh, a couple of the community groups have started that as well, so that's really encouraging uh, for me to hear. Um, but what I want to do is now I want to, to take it to a little bit different level this morning and talk about what that means. So Psalm 1, we talk about this, and um, what kind of person is a person that God will put his favor and his blessing upon as he pursues him in his word? So verse 1 says this, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And Psalm, Psalm 1 really talks about two different kinds of people. It talks about the person who is far from God and the person who is near to God or the person who is especially blessed by God to uh, this contrast. And right here in verse 1, we find that the psalmist uses this repetition three. So three ways to describe the wicked, three ways to describe sinners. So he talks about wicked, sinners, scoffers. They're all synonymous, but they all basically refer to the person who is far from God, who ignores God. And when we think about wicked people, right, like don't think terrorists, you know, don't think human sex tra uh, traffickers, you know, don't think like those kind of people, right? When you think wicked, according to the psalm, the wicked person is the person who is disregarding God, 
So they may be very nice people. Uh, they may be very upright kind of people. But really, their life is disregarding God. It's not centered on the things of God and His Word. And this is how the Bible describes it. So, for example, it talks about the th three ways of the wicked, the direction, right? So it says, this person is walking, they're standing, and they're sitting. So, without God, what they're doing is, you know, there's, there's this walking, and then standing, and then, there, and then this position of, of sitting, it's this direction in which this person is more and more settled into their life away from God. Uh, they're more and more just kind of complacent or they're more sort of settled and seated into just, yeah, not really caring about the things of God. That's how the psalmist describes the wicked. And verse 5 and 6, the destination that the psalmist describes is not good. It says, again, three things in verses 5 and 6. Therefore, uh, verses 5 and 6, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor in the congregation of the righteous. The second thing, in the way of the wicked will perish. Um, in other words, they're doomed to this destruction. Now, when David is using this terminology and this imagery of the wicked will not stand in the judgment, um, he's making this reference to this court of law where basically a person's deeds are put on trial. And this person would usually be, be brought before the city gate. And at the city gate, here's a picture of like the city gate, for example, in Jerusalem. And this is where the king or the governors or the judges would sit and they would adjudicate these cases. That's what they would do. And then they would declare, uh, pronounce judgment upon those who violated the law. And this is the imagery that David is using here in verse 5 in Psalm 1. That there is this judgment that will ev eventually come upon those who, in a sense, disregard God and his word. But in contrast to this, and this is what I want to really focus on is this. Who are the people who are really known by God? Who are the people who have this blessing of God upon them? And this is the other person that the psalmist is talking about. So in verse 1, it says, blessed is the man. Blessed is a man. And it says in verse 2, that his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then this is what I want you to see. Um, in verse, uh, please, uh, if you could go back for a second. But it says in verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. There's two things I want you to see about the person who is known by God. First of all, this person is blessed. What is this blessing? Right? It's not talking about, you know, all of a sudden your life gets a lot better. Or, you know, um, that's not the, the type of blessing. But this Hebrew word, ashrei, this blessed life. Well, David describes what this blessed life is. It's actually, verse 6, it's that the Lord knows this person's life and way. When David describes this, that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, it's actually describing 
that the Lord intimately is familiar with this person. The Lord knows a very, very closely who this person is, right? He's, well, he knows everything, but there's this sense in which you have this sense of God's nearness, this, the sense in which you are close to God. God is close to you. He is near to you. He's watching over you. He's got his eye upon your life, this sense of special favor or blessing upon your life. This is who the psalmist is talking about. How many of you guys want a relationship with God where you really sense his nearness, his special care and blessing upon your life right now? Uh, this is the person that this psalm is talking about. And the key that we find in verse 2 is this. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What is the key to this sense of blessing, this sense of intimacy, the sense in which you really sense God's love and favor upon your life. It says that this person delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates upon it day and night. I want to ask you this question, and that is, do you feel distant from God? Right? Do you feel distant? Do you feel, di do you feel, <laughs> do you feel disconnected from God right now in your life? And I want to ask you just a really simple question. If you feel distant and disconnected, I want to ask you, are you in the Word of God daily? Are you delighting, are you learning to delight in the Word of God? Is this the foundation, is this, in a sense, a cornerstone of your relationship with Jesus? Because the person who is in the Word of God and consuming it, this is a person whom the Lord says, I'm going to put my blessing and I'm going to watch, I'm going to, I'm going to watch, I'm going to, I know this person. This person knows me. I know this person. We have this relationship. It's not one way. It's not inauthentic. He's seeking me through his word and because of that, he has this, he or she has this special sense of God's presence in their life. I mean, that's, this is what this psalm is talking about here. I remember, you know, uh, when we were in China, and <laughs> Pastor Eddie neither knows this, right? But uh, learning Mandarin is very, very difficult. Do you guys know that? <laughs> Especially for Korean, okay? Um, my Korean didn't help me because my Korean's terrible. And so that didn't help. Um, but it was discouraging, you know? And according to, uh, well, there's, you can look, uh, not right now, don't go on your phones, but according to this uh, language institute thing, um, did you know that Mandarin is the second hardest language to learn in the world? I learned that after I got to China, <laughs> right? And it's the second hardest language, and uh, it was painful to have to learn it, to struggle through it, and you know, just to buy things at the market or, you know, order food. The only word I knew was Jaga. I, I want Jaga, 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 which means this, this, this. You know, that's all I knew. Point to the picture, Jaga, Jaga, you know. Yeah, that's what I want, Jaga, <laughs> right? Uh, it's painful. And, um, you know, 
but I remember the breakthrough happened when, you know, I'm thinking, okay, how do I buy something? Wall. Uh, what's the word for buy? Buy uh, my, uh, my, right? Or wall, y'all, my. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay. You know, something simple. Uh, but the breakthrough happened when one day I noticed the words just came out. And I didn't even have to think about it. Well, yeah, my, you know, look. Anyway, but the words would just come out. And the real breakthrough came when I actually, uh, by God's grace, I actually got through an hour sermon, almost all of it, without needing translation. And anyway, that was, I don't know exactly what they heard. I know what I said. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, but that, you know, that was the process. And, you know, for me to learn Mandarin, what did it require? I was, I had to constantly think about the language. I had to constantly, in a sense, meditate on how do I say this in Chinese? How do I look at this life? Or how do I look at these things? How do I express these ideas in Chinese? It was a constant process. But it was nonstop. I mean, it was looking at life and looking at everything through the filter of the language. And eventually, you get to the point where you can actually enjoy it, where it actually becomes second nature. Now, what if I short-circuited that process, and what if, you know, I gave up after the first few years? Or, you know, I just said, you know, this is just too hard. This is too frustrating. You know, it's not, it's not working, you know, for me. It's not, it's not helping me. You have to struggle through it. And when we think about meditation, what is meditation? Meditation is this. We don't just read the Bible, but we have to grapple with it, and we have to think through it, and it requires a lot of hard work. The word meditation, when people think of meditation, right, a lot of people think it's just emptying your mind. I, you know, and we think about, okay, I just want to come home, um, you know, and I just want to empty my mind. I'm going to veg out. But actually, you can never completely empty your mind. You're always filling it with something. And biblical meditation is literally the idea, I, uh, you see this picture here, but this is someone at the wall in Jerusalem. Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind. It's actually this idea of murmuring or reciting out loud. When the Jewish people would meditate, they would literally be saying these words literally out loud. And so a person, for example, like this young man at the wall, opening up the scriptures, he's meditating on the word of God. He's reciting it out loud. Every time he word, uh, uses a word, the Lord, Yahweh, he's bowing down. But this is the idea of biblical meditation. A lot of times when we engage the word, we read it, and we're reading it silently, but nothing's penetrating through. But meditation is very, very active. It requires a lot of effort. It takes effort to engage the Word of God. But you get to a point where as you engage the, engage the Word of God, where like Chinese, you know, uh, learning Mandarin or whatever, um, it's like, oh, uh, what is this verse? How does it relate to this part of my life? Who is God? Um, you know, how do I 
handle these situations from a biblical perspective, but you start wondering these things, and before you know it, you begin to enjoy it. It becomes more natural. And this is the idea of biblical meditation. Well, yeah, I, I want to, we're talking about this in our CG uh, this past Tuesday, right? Um, the reality is this. We struggle to delight in God's word, right? Like we struggle to read it and we struggle to find great joy in it uh, sometimes. And what we do is this. We say, well, you know, we, we pick up the scripture, we go through it maybe for a quiet time, we've tried it a few times, and then we read it, but then we, we think, well, it doesn't work. I didn't get anything out of it. it. It didn't do anything for me. And so what we do is we give up. Well, that didn't work, right? Well, I want to say that maybe it's because we've given up too easily. We haven't learned to meditate on God's word. It's a skill. You have to cultivate it. It takes practice. Uh, we can't expect spiritual magic, right? We just pick it up and all of a sudden we're just inspired for the day. It, there's actually a real engagement practice that happens with biblical meditation. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on, but for now, let me just finish this psalm. The psalmist says this, in Psalm 1, it promises the result of meditating on God's word. Verse 3, this is what God promises. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What does God promise to the person who learns to delight in and meditate on his word? He, he promises that your life will produce fruit. Isn't this what you want? Spiritual fruit in your life. And this idea of a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in the season, actually, the better translation of this word is transplant. Okay, what do I mean by that? The Hebrew word here is this idea of transplant. So if, if you can imagine in Israel, this parched land, dry season, and you have these wild palm shoots that are growing along these riverbeds, but then the riverbed dries up. And so these shoots are dying off in, 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 in the, uh, these dry seasons. So what a good gardener would do is he would, he would literally take these shoots uproot them out, and then transplant them literally along these riverbeds where they can then become fruitful. They're well-nourished and watered. And this is the idea that is being conveyed in verse 3 by David. God, when you learn to delight in and meditate on his word, God will take your life and when things are really dry, he will literally transplant you in such a way so that your life can continue to flourish. It can bear fruit. This is what God does. He will put you along these streams of water. But what are these streams of water? It's the word of God. The word of God that nourishes you. And it will yield its fruit in its season. 
we don't always feel fruitful, even when you are in the Word. You may not always feel like your life is fruitful, but God's promise is that if you pursue after Him, you are consistent and persistent in pursuing after God through His Word, He will make your life fruitful in its season. You will see it. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And this is a contrast. And the contrast is that the person who's not grounded in the word of God is the person who, like uh, back in ancient Israel, you have uh, the farmer and they're taking the chaff and they're using their pitchfork to go through the chaff and when he uh, raises the chaff into the air, all the very light chaff just blows away while the heavier one will fall to the ground, the heavier grains will fall to the ground. And what he's interested in is in sifting the chaff from the ones that are unstable and unfruitful from the ones that, are, uh, that will bear fruit, the heavy grains. This is the, the picture that's being used. An idea is that, you know, when you go through life and things are hard, and things are painful, and it's difficult, right? The winds are blowing, right? If you are grounded in the Word of God, you will not, your life will not just blow away, okay? Your life will not be unstable. Even when things are hard, you will be grounded. Jesus himself used these words. He said, blessed, in the most famous sermon that was ever preached in Matthew chapter 5, he said, blessed, he uses the same word that's found in Psalm 1, blessed, And he talks about entering the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. But blessed are you if you found the way to life. And in Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says this. It's the same thing as what David said 900 years earlier. Jesus says in Matthew, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. In other words, you're not just just a hearer of God's word, you're a doer of God's word. You delight in God's word, you meditate on it, you think about its implications for your life. The person who, who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the winds and the wave came, you know, his, his foundation was sure, right? Why? Because you are rooted in the Word. Now, I want to share with you just a, some practical principles. And these are principles that I, I really believe that if you follow, um, it will do nothing but your best spiritual good. Okay, I don't say this out of like legalism or whatever. Like I, I honestly just want you... Uh, I want us as a church just to flourish in God's word. This is my, my intent. This is my heart. Um, this is what I know to be true and the only way that we're going to be spiritually vibrant as a church. And so there's a few practical things that, you know, we can do to do that well. Uh, and first of all, I would recommend, I would highly commend you to use a tactile Bible, okay, an actual tactile Bible, okay, uh, phones, apps, whatever, I mean, you know, um, yeah, like, I, I, it's, sometimes you get a little distracted, uh, you see the advertisement or whatever, right, but just, there's something about actually 
physically like turning pages that makes a little difference. Okay, so use a, tactile, a good tactile Bible. But secondly is this, go to the Bible first thing in the morning. First thing. Um, you're going to hear a lot of voices. You want to hear the voice of Facebook, YouTube, your email, your weather. I mean, which voice is most important? It's the voice of God. What you need to be grounded in your life is the voice of God. You need to hear from Him. And so go to the Bible first thing in the morning to set your tone. Like, you know, some people say, well, I, 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 I read best at night when my day is done. It, well, how about day and night? There's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, honestly, there's nothing, there's, that'd be great. But at the very least, at the very least, first thing in the morning. Why? Because you go through a day, you're already attacked by Satan. He's already throwing all these things, like all these temptations your way. And if you're not grounded in the Word, how are you going to deal with the temptations? How are you going to deal with the hard people in your life if you're not grounded in the Word? Um, I think it'd be very difficult, very difficult. And then as you go to the, to the Word, ask God to clear your mind from distractions. So you know, just say, Lord, um, would you open the eyes of my heart uh, that I may see wonderful things in your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, I need you. Without you, Holy Spirit, I am not, I'm going to totally miss what you want me to see. So I need you to just really open my spiritual eyes and open my spiritual, spiritual ears so I can hear from you, from your word. Uh, but ask that. Ask the Lord to remove distractions. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you fellowship with Jesus. Uh, do that. And what I would say is this, uh, get a good journal, okay? Now, I just started, uh, you know, I, I ran through my old journal um, just a couple months ago, but you know, I got, but use a journal. Um, I haven't always done this perfectly throughout my life, but I have done it most of my life, I would say. Um, yeah, about like 80%. And what I would do is this, there's something about journaling that is very helpful. Um, why? You read it, but you forget, right, what you read. But when you journal, you have, to fit, you have to concentrate more on what you just read. And you have to engage the word. And when you write things out, it forces you to concentrate. So it's very, very helpful, even if you never look at that entry again. But pick up a journal and begin to journalize. What would you journalize? Well, really quickly, here. Here. Here, H-E-A-R. This acronym, H-E-A-R, okay, is an acronym that comes from a ministry called Replicate. And I want to just show you very quickly, okay? So, for example, H, highlight a verse or passage. Um, just whatever uh, stood out to you as you read it, just resummarize it. E, explain what do you learn about God? What do you learn about Jesus? What do you learn about yourself as you read it? So write those things down. A, uh, is there a sin to confess? Is there a praise? Is there behavior and emotions when you forget this truth? What kind of behavior emotions surface when you forget these truths, right? Um, what kind of person do I need to become in light of what the, the Word of God is, is asking of me? And R is to respond. I pray this back to God. So it's a very simple tool, but I think it's very helpful. Now, I'll say one more thing. Why do most of us read the Bible, and then we forget about it, or we don't pursue after it. Okay, let me just show you, uh, share with you this one thing. 
Forbes magazine says this, do you know why the number one reason why New Year's resolutions fail? We have good intentions and, you know, for like January it's good and February we've, you know, it's like that gym membership is now a waste of money, right? But do you know why? Because there's no clear plan and accountability. So what I'm, what I'm trying to do is to give us a clear plan. And the second thing is accountability. You need accountable relationships. If you try to do this on your own, you will give up. Most of you will give up at some point. But if you're in an accountable relationship, like community group, even the Facebook page we got, um, maybe just say, hey, would you, uh, would you follow this plan with me? Would you help me uh, just pick one or two other people? That's, that's the key. So um, we were meant to do this in community as a church. We're going to go into our time of communion right now. And as we go into this time of communion, we remember that Christ himself is the living word. And he is the one who gave up his life for us. And we come to this table to remember that this living word, Jesus, is the one who initiated this covenant with us 2,000 years ago.